Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Sometimes feel like the day is a bit hard to cope with. We hear you and me CBD can help. Research has shown that cannabinoids can have a positive effect on many conditions from insomnia and anxiety to arthritis and chronic pain. Me CBD is organic, 100% natural and vegan. Make a little me time with your cuppa and feel at your natural best. Visit mecbd.com. That's m e c b d.com. Use discount code SPRING10 at checkout. Hello, my name is Dave Handry and there will be no encore. Welcome to a very, very special episode of No Encore Podcast. It's the revisit in which we go back to a specific year between 1980 and 2005 and check out Irish albums within that time frame. The year is 2000. I'm joined this week, this time, by Brian Lloyd of Entertainment.ie. Hello. Michael Pope of The Galaxy. Hello. Colm Querney, a.k.a. Q, a multifaceted instrumentalist who's been in pretty much every band ever. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Kieran McGuinness of Jalorento's fame. Uh, hello. Hi. Fame is... Fame. Yeah. Fame, <laughs> fame and fortune. Yes. What were the uh, what, what was the fame and fortune in the year 2000, though, as our resident historian? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what happened in the year 2000? Okay, so the the backdrop of these albums being, being released, I suppose, is uh, the millennium, Y2K. Uh, which the millennium. The millennium, <laughs> yes, obviously. <laughs> um, George Bush was sworn in. Um uh, Alec Guinness died blah, blah blah all those kind of things Polly Yates died Ian Drury um, but in the Mad Cow Disease which was terrible oh god yeah, who, yeah. Who, who could forget that indeed um, and we had one short year to wait for 9-11 so we, we, yeah. Oh, yeah, fine. True, everything yeah. was fine oh, amazing we just kind of hanging so out all, they didn't know it at the time but every album is, is pre-9-11 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the biggest film of the year American Beauty but the biggest albums of the year were Eminem Marshall Mathers uh, the Beatles uh, one album Linkin Park of course yeah. um, which influenced everyone and Britney Spears Oops I Did It Again but it was also the year of um, Kid A and Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea by PJ Harvey, which won the uh, Mercury. So that was they were the kind of albums that were out at the time. 
Well, will the Irish albums that we have contend with those? Can they possibly be as good as Hybrid Theory by Linkin Park? I don't know. <laughs> I know. Do is, know. <laughs> I, I may have had that hoodie. Just want to put it out there. You're wearing it now. Yeah. Wearing it now. I'll, I'll, I'll join you on that one. Was. Very embarrassing uh, teenage, like, blunder years, 2000 to 2002. Yeah. Like hanging out with Asha. Remember, I remember. Is Asha still there? By Asha way? is still there. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to Asha, not sponsoring this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but they used to have all those like terrible like hoodies, like the Lincoln Park hoodies and like the Metallica hoodies. And oh, it's Sports. I'm getting I'm getting wistful now. Sport yeah. metal, sport metal. Yeah. You know, lads in shorts. Uh, you know, <laughs> massive uh, guitars. Well, jo- jorts, I believe jorts. they call them. <laughs> jorts. Yeah. John Cena esque jorts. Amazing. Uh, well, that, none of that describes the records that we're going to be talking about, which are uh, the shortlist that we have this week, whittled down from a long list, is Damien Dempsey with They Don't Teach This Shit in School, U2's Massive, All That You Can't Leave Behind, the debut self titled Effort from JJ72, Bow Down to the Exit Sign by David Holmes, and Small Moments by David Kitt. Was it a fight getting here this time, Kieran? Or- uh, well, it was so. It was, it was a very long list, I suppose. I think around this period, like we we did on a previous podcast, we did nineteen eighty eight, and we're kind of looking at you know between fifteen and twenty albums. But in this podcast, you know, there was big year. There was like thirty albums, maybe thirty five, and a lot of them I actually couldn't find MP threes of, which I thought it would be easier as you kind of go on, you'd find more. Like everything would be online, but some of them weren't. Like David Holmes, which is one of the albums we're doing. Like it took forever to find it. Eventually, I found it on a yeah, that was a bizarre, <laughs> a dodgy, <laughs> yeah. a dodgy a Russian site. But it's weird site. that it's not on Spotify. It's weird that it's not anywhere. You know, if you yeah. don't own the album, um, I just found that it's just it's just weird. I presume it's something to do with licensing or something. Everything else obviously was online, but um, a couple of albums didn't make it, and um, chorus didn't make it. The chorus, Brian. Yeah, how Brian. about that? Yeah. <laughs> what? Like I like, and I wouldn't mind, but like I really did listen. I went back and really re-listened to it. We we're talking about chorus in blue. Mm. And uh, it, I'm just, I'm really shocked that it didn't make it in, just purely for the <laughs> fact that, like, we've all got, like, these really worthy albums and, like, we didn't have one trashy pop hit, like, in there at all. Nothing. Like, well, this and, they, and, and their their cultural impact was enormous. Enormous! Yeah, it was. I mean, like, yeah, they were, they were a phenomenon. And they were a phenomenon. I had a teacher who took credit for them becoming the phenomenon that they became. A classic teacher who tells lots of yarns <laughs> said that he met the uh, struggling then cores on a train, and they were like, he heard them talking. They were like, "Oh, what do we, what do we do? Like, how do we put it all together? It's just not going to work." And this guy walked over and he was like, "What if you take your uh, trad leanings and mix it with contemporary <gasps> pop styling?" <laughs> Get out! <laughs> and then next thing you know, biggest <laughs> band in the world. Yeah, it's actually uh, funny that the cores were. I can't believe it's so long ago that the they were huge. They were massive. Mm. Came back recently and you know, still very popular. They don't appear to age, which is yeah, terrifying. Yeah, well, that's it. They look beautiful. Yeah, very and weird. no one appears to have, which is rare for Irish circles, any contempt for them. Well, I don't know one about of them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have like any sort of animosity. Like, I was like, they did. They made like, just what you said. They made like you know c- contemporary music mixed with a bit of trad. And I, I, it didn't. I, I, it, maybe it was so inoffensive that I wasn't offended, but it did, didn't bother me even back then when I was listening to. It, it was just weird. I think like like they were working with. <laughs> were, they, were they working with Mutt Lang on that album? Yeah, yeah. So it, it kind of had a sound of Shania Twa- uh, Twain. Shania Twain, yeah. very much yeah. so, very very so much so. Th- and, and and weirdly, she kind of looked a bit like. And yeah, we won't get into that. <laughs> um, the the, the, yeah. the mix up in the background, but um, but yeah, there's the context as well of them being Irish and 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 the kudos. Like it's kind of tough to do that stuff with Irish leanings and yeah. be cool in Ireland and then obviously it was 
really successful then around the world because yeah, of they the, weren't yeah, because of the same reason they weren't bewitched basically so yeah, yeah. there was a bit more yeah. uh, credibility I think the reason that this particular record didn't make it though is because only when I sleep isn't on it. And that song is ridiculously great to this That's day. That's what it says on, on your hoodie. On it does. Your <laughs> it, my, my, my core is emo hoodie. <laughs> um, yeah, and another one I thought, uh, Sinead O'Connor didn't get in. Um, that was, a, I think, one of her comeback albums. And it was um, it was a very religious one. She was wearing the... the um, That's what I remember the no most. I remember, I remember like the artwork and I remember kind of like, you know, the backlash to that. And a lot of people kind of being like, oh, you know, what's she on about? And, you know, should she be fusing these things together? But ultimately, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting record. I It didn't quite pop for me the way some of the other ones did. But yeah, I mean, like Shane O'Connor is a very singular artist for many different reasons. And I respect the hell out of her for trying something different. But I don't know if the Irish public really took to it. She's technically in the list because she's on the U2 album. She's oh, that. true enough, yeah. <laughs> technically. What song is she on the U2 album? She's on, she sings on Peace and Earth. Um, oh, the one with the lyric, Gareth, Anne and Breda. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a, <laughs> you know, I was thinking, I was looking, going through the, Gareth, all these albums. Anne and Breda. And I think there's some of the, some of the lyrics. Yeah, they're very, yeah. Like, they're, I, I'm, I'm a person who likes lyrics, I suppose. <laughs> um, I always have them in my hoodies and I, I just <laughs> honestly some of the lyrics and over the course of the five albums I wouldn't be a fan of but yeah there's, there's some there's some funny lyrics on the YouTube album but there's some great lyrics on the YouTube album at the same time yeah we'll talk about that when, yeah. uh, we'll, 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 what kind of follow up it is we'll to also to Passengers Original Soundtracks 1 yes uh, it's, it, it, it's technically a follow up to that album it is and mm. it could it's not be shame. so yeah. weird or, or different well that was yeah because that was yeah yeah but anyway um other albums that didn't make it on. I was uh, there was a Frank and Walters album called Glass, yeah, which is excellent. Great and um, there's a National Prayer Breakfast album, and I, I saw it there. You you listened to it, mm. and I, I uh, listened to it a lot back then as well. It was yeah. Um, I I, think, was, I remember when I was starting out, they were kind of kind of heroes of the scene. They kind of were. Mm. Yeah, Phantom FM. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Frame was kind of like known as being kind of like as funny as he was talented as a musician and stuff like that. You know, yeah, it was kind yeah. of. And uh, I think for a while they were they had to they. Had to be called MPP legally. I think I heard this from my brother back in the day from the Phantom. Day. Like they couldn't be called National Prayer Records because that was a f- that was a cultural phenomenon in America, and they were getting in some trouble. So it had to be known as what's the, the National uh, Prayer Records? Is that something? It's a it's a political thing where it's like before an election or something like that. Like all the nominees yeah. have to meet with like the Catholic. Yeah. Bishops Association no yeah. or something like that. It's a bit. I saw it on an episode of West Wing. I mean, that's literally what. It's clearly a great name for a band, but they had to resort to the acronym NPB yeah. for a while. But uh, yeah, they were kind of like kind of a, like the, for when we were kind of in our embryonic stage yeah. in Dublin as musicians. They were very well respected. They had some good records and they had some really really good live shows as well. It's funny as well because there's a couple like um, like David Kidd. I remember I remember going into the village. You know, I mean, just as 2005 or something. I'm into the village and they're like the kids here you know <laughs> <laughs> and like the, the whisper yeah. went around and I kept going to the toilet so I could look at him <laughs> <laughs> that is David Kitt you know yeah. the next level up was Kitzer's here I was yeah. like it was David Kitzer oh no Kitzer is here yeah. <laughs> yeah. never never saw Bono in the village unfortunately but did you ever did Bono, 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 Bono you never saw Bono and Mono no <laughs> Bono and Mono no <laughs> do you, Dave you remember Mono right I do not no you know well before it was the village it was uh, it, before it was the vill- it's opium now so before it was the village it was Mono before right. it was that was the mean fiddler oh, right. yeah I remember when it was the yeah. mean fiddler yeah. right. it was called Mono for a while yeah oh. Mono. Bono and Mono yeah. you people. <laughs> did Bono hang out with the village yeah. I didn't know that no, no, I, I, I have no idea I know is that I saw I saw the Joshua Trio there in 1999 and that was as good as close to Bono was going to get really Joshua Trio yeah Right. <laughs> uh, Wilt also didn't make this. The, yeah, yeah. You were, you, you, that was your. Um, that was kind of my, my outlier. Uh, I think with Wilt, you know, I love their energy, and I think the problem with Wilt though is that getting through an entire album, it does get quite samey. But remind me, so Wilt, 
was a side project of some Curb Dog. dog. Yeah, yeah. Curb it was dog. a follow up to Curb. It's the follow up to Curb. Yeah. yeah, and was it the same? Mem- no, it wasn't. The same well, Corn Battle. It oh, was okay. both. Yeah. I mean, like Corn Battle uh, had one like really big song. On the Turn was their big record, which is very much beloved. I think they had a recent comeback, and people yeah. were very happy to have them back. Um, Wills kind of had some songs here and there. They got a really cool song in the early 2000s called Distortion. I think it was on a FIFA soundtrack, maybe, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it's just kind of it kind of runs at a road. Like, like it starts off with a lot of energy. It's it's kind of like ash in a way, and then by the end of it, you're just kind of like, yeah, you know, this is all kind of blurring into one. And I think, you know, to put it in the top five, I didn't quite think it had the gold standard that we try and search on this here podcast. So. Yeah. But uh, you know, fair play to the lads. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good show. There's gonna be a lot of that going around for this podcast. <laughs> fair <laughs> to the lads, though. Yeah, we're, we're not here to offend anybody. <laughs> but uh, okay, let's get started uh, with our shortlist. Okay, so we'll start with David Kitt and Small Moments, which sounds a little bit like this. You stand alone, so delicate. I said, that's fine. It seems right. Filling up the day again. Our bodies Yes, I was really surprised actually to see this on the list because I didn't feel that long ago because uh, every one, couple of years I dip into it um, and kind of find myself loving it all over again. Like, I mean, for me, that was the first time I'd ever really been introduced to something that was known as bedroom recordings. Mm. Yeah, ha- okay, because so. when I was in a band in like the late uh, late 90s and stuff like that, I was, it was, okay, got to get some cash together, the four of us. We have to go to the studio, record the drums, record the bass you know you do the overnight in some studios and stuff that you'd like you know do you do everything you could to get that recording time and and all of a sudden this cat was doing his stuff on like a um a four track and an eight track and making it sound really really good and, and even if you listen to the intro of the album it's like about a minute of kind of this ambient kind of weird drone almost, drone almost. Yeah. and then you kind of hear your, your your beat come in which still to this day actually sounds more relevant some of the, some of the the uh, the loops and the beats in the album are a little kind of they're kind of your, your Yamaha keyboard you program it in so they're a little goofy like, but yeah. but, they're in, but it's kind of sp- yeah it's kind That's of split. the appeal too it is but it's kind yeah. of split in half because you realise that a lot of this stuff especially even how intimate it is it's kind of ahead of its time and in, in a way that kind of almost uh, uncomfortably uh, raw numb kind of sound is very de rigueur these days you know you have mm-hmm. like the stuff like bon- Bonnie Vera sounds like he couldn't be more ripped open on, you know but like well, and but, but David Kitt kind of had that like where it was so intimate and what I liked about it is being someone who was not a singer I'm not a traditional singer like my favourite singers always couldn't really sing if you know what I mean I was never really that into kind of like guys with mad falsettos or kind of stuff like that I liked my guys who like my Leonard Cohen and stuff like that and I loved David Kitt's voice because it was so conversational and it was so it sounded like if you spoke to him, it sounded like that that he was singing to you even, you know. Mm. Um, and I found I had a lot of really... I, over the last 15 years, I've become very averse or very kind of... I bristle at the idea of twee. And having your little brother yeah. sing yeah. <laughs> on one of your songs, for yeah. me, nowadays, would be like, oh, come on. <laughs> but I listened to it today. Totally. Again, yeah. and yeah. it's it's, it's absolutely great. gorgeous. And, yeah. and and I even I can kind of see uh, that I think his him and his brother kind of formed a band a couple of years ago. They were called... Oh God, I can't remember. I know he has New Jackson, but they were the two of them had kind of a kind of thing. I saw an EP a couple of years ago, um, and it was it was great. But normally I would, I would bristle at that kind of thing, but I really really loved it. I think it all, the whole album really works as kind of like a kind of. He must be so proud of it because I remember when Big Romance came out, he 
re-recorded I might be wrong but he might re-recorded one or two of the songs mm. and I was just like yeah. I deflated I was like it was just all so perfect you didn't have to yeah. change anything about that's, it you know that's, but I think it's really interesting like you know he, I mean without getting too complicated he's kind of put you know the electronic stuff underneath some acoustic songs you know yeah. I mean basically but it did make it stand out it really know? did because he, he was kind of taken under the wing at the time um, of kind of the um the frames and because he became yeah. kind of a, 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 people might think this now because he'd be, he'd be very much more in kind of like the uh kind of electronic maybe kind of at the time the rednecks type thing but at the time he was kind of beyond the bill with the likes of Damien Rice and the frames and I think I unfairly so I unfair, think yeah and Mick Christopher was was I, I mean I, I saw Mick Christopher and the frames in the in Vicar Street I think it was in 2000 maybe and it was uh correct me if I'm wrong he may have you know I don't, I don't I'm, not, I'm not too sure but um no, unfair, unfairly, but they, I think they just the strength of the songwriting might have just yeah. been, you know. Well, well, I think as well. Fundamentally, he was kind of like a folk artist. Yeah, that had this other skill that everyone else didn't have, which was that he was a great producer at the time. That uh, was yeah, so unheard of. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and actually, probably who knows who inspired who at that time. But the, but the, but that, like, the, the thing about this year is that actually we can see, and there probably were just so many albums, is that we're people are starting to make albums themselves. Yeah. yeah. And the whole idea then, well, if you're just, if you're making themselves, well then, um, making them yourselves, well then do you also release them yourselves? Mm. And um, so it kind of, kind of promoted that whole thing. So he was kind of, he definitely had a foot, I think, in the folk thing as well. And I think, yeah, he was just an artist as well. I think people just respected what he was doing. Yeah, I was as much into the idea of like, wow, I can't believe he put this together in his bedroom. Like, yeah, I mean, I yeah. Have, like I, I started as a drummer, I'd have my drum kit in there and I'd record, I'd set up a little uh, dictaphone and just put it in there and we'd get these horrible, smashed up, crushed recordings <laughs> yeah. of me playing drums just so I could sit up in my room on my guitar playing yeah. onto them. But he had this crisp, clean sound of like drum machines and, and I know it wasn't revolutionary, but at, at the time in Ireland, it was, like the bands were either live bands or they were extremely electronic mm. acts. But to, to see this kind of, uh, this kind of hybrid, this fusing of the two, was exciting. It was even for, and it, but at the same time, it managed to be completely intimate. Yeah, that, that song at the end, the headphones, where he's like, yeah. you know, don't ring me. I'm, <laughs> I've got my headphones on. I've actually got a quote because I think it just really encapsulates. What's it? Don't try and call. I've got my headphones on. It's like, yeah, I can't hear the phone. I've got, I've got the headphones on, and it's just, it's like Kitzer. That's yeah. that's the line mm. that absolutely, and he's and like even thinking about that line, it's it's for all those goofballs who are having a spliff. <laughs> who are and, and those artists who just um, wake Zone up in. at eleven o'clock and they just have their creativity, mm. kind of you know from mm. eleven till kind of Wait, six in the morning. Is 11, eleven o'clock is late, is it or early? I can't I figure it, out. Yeah. <laughs> it seems early yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, eleven yeah. o'clock at night. Yeah. Eleven o'clock at night. Yeah. PM. But how did you think he um, fared with the with his kind of live performances around? Like like you're talking about ninety nine. I, I I remember seeing him live as well, and obviously a lot of like you know. Um, Mick, Mick Christopher and Glenn they were all obviously very strong mm. performers but then Kitzer's kind of skills were kind of more in that kind of recording bedroom were, and yeah. I think when he was bringing it out then to an audience I felt that um, yeah I think that was a challenge for him at the time it but was, like, it was like a different he, crowd now yeah. I, mean, I think we know as, as he's developed as an artist he was yeah. maybe not quite meant for that crowd really mm. um, and I did see him I, like, I was a huge fan of, of the frames and stuff and Damien Rice back Way back then, he goes all the shows and stuff, and yeah, he was always ever ever so slightly like a, a bit a bit of a square peg in a round hole. It was yeah. unusual because he like I mean, no one could doubt that um, Glenn Hansard could belt it out, as could pretty much most of them. Mick Christopher could, mm. and so could Damien Rice. But 
Kitzer was just so hushed and intimate yeah. and you know it was it was it was like you, know, I, I, you would find that he didn't quite he he basically needed to find his own path and back yeah. then it was like anybody who had a really really good songwriting skills which he did and mm. um, they found themselves kind of getting blanketed in with the answered yeah know, like, yeah come, come mm. to my child but it's kind of not really one or the other because you know no you know you know anyone who's like super electronic is going to be like that's not they're not that's not mm. real electronic anyone that's like you know maybe as you as you're saying like big kind of folk you know crossover act like is is going to be like oh, that's a bit more bedroom you know so mm. I don't know like I wonder did that hold him back or, or whatever because I, like I've never really I, not that I didn't get into it but it just it just sort of passed me a little bit yeah probably it a little did bit, me as well yeah. probably a little, either a little bit too early or a little bit too one sort of direction for me not one direction but you know what I mean but um, <laughs> the thing is that I listened back to it actually I'm really surprised I was really surprised by how good it was. You yes. know, mm. I've heard really, like really a lot good. of his more recent stuff, and mm. not that I didn't like it. I thought it was very good, but I just I just never spent a lot of time with it. But this album just it's just lovely. Like I was sitting today, and um, I was running through. I was I just had them all playing in the background. I was playing with my daughter, and it's funny. I was we were playing with you know she was making a shop I was buying grapes and things and uh, <laughs> making a shop it's a Shopkins she makes a little shop oh, and she has all little tiny little shop products shop, yeah, it's amazing yeah, yeah, it yeah. gets me money out of it. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> two euro Evans two euro yeah. but, uh, anyway, but she was sitting there and the music was on right and the, you know it was the sunlight was kind of coming in I kind of felt like I was in like a scene from like an Ikea ad or something it was all just the music was lovely you know, yeah. she was sitting there playing, you know, I could see dust in the air, mm-hmm. you know. Well, it's very leery as well. It just creeps up on you. It kind of, you know, there's just layer on top of layer on top of layer. You think some of the songs are a bit long? It's a, yeah, well, I, well, I, think, you, I think there's a bit of padding. Like, I think it's eight songs <laughs> yeah. in the whole album. And I would have done the same thing if I was like, you know, I have six or seven songs here. I, I need to make an album out of it, you know. And, <laughs> but, but it's incredibly evocative, though. Like, you know what I mean? And it is, I know, it is. It's it very is, hypnotic. It is him at four well. or five in the morning kind of saying, yeah. I kind of don't want to finish playing this just yet. You know what I mean? And I think he captured it. He, he indulged himself. But, like, it was his... As a, as a debut record, it's really, really assured. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? He didn't have to do anything. It's very accomplished, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it is really is. Yeah. And some people smoke, you know, they don't make very creative you know it's just that thing where you make something oh this is amazing the next day you listen to it (laughs) you think it's shit yeah yeah Yeah. but I think with him it actually kind of really works but I think a byproduct of that is that the songs are quite long (laughs) you know what I mean because you just really get into it and I think if you're on that trip you just commit to it and you go I'm in for eight minutes but but I, but also I think it's very much headphone music. It I think is, as he says himself, it's for headphones. It's an indulgent record, like, yeah. but in in an okay way. And I, I think you know, like words like indulgent and like precious, they're mostly used as negative connotations, but it can work. It, yeah, it can and work. Yeah. I do think you need to be in the right frame of mind, though. I mean, I think if you're at a desk working and you got your headphones on, you're probably not going to get through the whole album. You're probably going to get bored because you're like, well, look, there's so much else going on. Mm. But if you switch off to, I think, for sure, absolutely. Yeah. And it is, again, for a debut and for the method in which it was recorded, I think you could play this for somebody and say, yeah, this was his sixth album and he made it with this producer. And mm. they probably go, oh, cool, yeah, I can hear that. I don't think so. Mm. No, do you not I, think so, no? No, I, I mean, when I was listening to it, I knew right away that this was done in a bedroom. And I, hmm. you buy into it, like, you mm. buy into that intimacy of it. like, And even in the lyrics as well, I mean, um, it is very intimate like it's him talking very openly about you know relationships or whatever and yeah. it's interesting like and in a, in a weird kind of way like as I was listening to it it was almost like it was too kind of private if you know that kind yeah. of way it, it felt yeah, like he was it felt like yeah. he had 
I don't know we're talking about like recreational drug use but it felt like <laughs> we have talked about that a lot we, we're assuming he was <laughs> no it's true yeah. 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 he's never <laughs> smoked <laughs> yeah. but, anyway, but it is one of those things where he was like stoned off his tits and he was like really just <laughs> opening up to him like man I don't know if you want yeah, to tell yeah. me this but yeah. fine we're here now. if you're listening please let us know if, you, <laughs> <laughs> if it was if you were all this this whole album was recorded, recorded at 4.20am <laughs> and p.m. I assume it's a very good album to listen to though yeah. while you're you know, I Mercury. would think so. No, yeah. 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 What are we calling this? He's like the great thing, like contextually, is that like lyrically, he's even like he's telling us that he's yeah. doing that. You know, and, and and like that's really wonderful. Like he kind of sets the scene, and um, I don't know, it just it just sounds like someone who's supposed to be going to college the next day, yeah. but they're just staying mm, yes. up all night. And, I like that, and, yeah. and and the kind of love nice. affair you can you can hear the kind of love affairs, and that's that's what's really nice about listening back to these records. You know, sort of six sixteen years, you kind of. You're actually thinking about back to yourself being that age and, and yeah. uh, different mm-hmm. headspace you're in. What were you What were you doing around 2000? Um, I was making an album as well. I I, I, had, I can't remember. Uh, I had to release an album then, or it was the year after. But I spent two years on an album, and I'd left Lear, uh, a band that I'd been in. So that was a very unusual kind of transition. Um, I remember one of the interesting things that happened was that I spent s- such a long time making the album. Um, Writing the songs and arranging them, and and uh, and then when it came to releasing the album, I, I uh, my first gig was going to be in um, what's that? Yeah, the Ruby Sessions. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, the Ruby Sessions. And the last thing that I actually thought about that I needed to do was to be a singer and a performer, <laughs> or you know, be f- kind of uh, e- even kind of fit like as a kind of vocalist. I just thought, you know, it's just ticking off things. You know, things you have to do. And it was like literally just before I was to walk up with my guitar and sing the songs, I just realized, I don't know if I can do this, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I remember giving it a bash and then just thinking, Jesus, um, back to the, you know, back to the drawing board here. And so, but um, yeah. Well, uh, from one David to another, and we'll go with a man who counts Steven Soderbergh as one of his biggest fans. David Holmes in 2000 released Bow Down to the Exit Sign, which sounds a bit like this. So, David Holmes, uh, known to many as a very cinematic sound. What do you think he's up to here, Karen? Well, Dave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Holmes, so Bow Down to the Exit Sign, his third album. Um, it's funny. It's it's really, it's just, it sounds so like it's a soundtrack to a film. It's like, it's a, you know, I, I had to look. Is there a film called, you know, um, but a lot of it was a lot of the stuff on it was used for albums. I, I, was used I would for say, films. yeah, yeah. I, I looked it up and like Sixty Nine Police was the big one from uh, Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven. 11 yeah. yeah, exactly. That was my note. Oh, sorry, but uh, <laughs> stepping so, all over him. <laughs> that was my only note. No, um, yeah, it's 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 atmospheric. It's um, it's got a lot of depth. I feel like it's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of different sounds. Sometimes it's hard to know if they're samples or if they're live. If they were recorded for the album or if they're parts of you know other songs. You know, there's a little bit of um, there's a lot of trip hop, a lot of electronic, whatever you want to call it. There's definitely soundtracky. It reminds me of um, a little bit of DJ Shadow, the way like he has the kind of Black American voices kind of in it, and you know street scenes and you know 
songs about police and soundscapes all that kind of stuff it's mad and the funniest thing is that like David Holmes his name is on it but you don't see David you know there's no nothing about him he's just in the background entirely all his guest stars are right at the front so you know uh, Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream is on autopilot for two songs um, <laughs> yeah those, those, those ones they were the worst on it but, <laughs> but the thing about it is, is he's got loads of, he's got um, I think Martina Topley Bird it's all about it's all about the uh, the guests nearly you know like they're mm. the, the people that kind of populate and the voices that you hear and you hear very little of him you know but there's some absolutely brilliant songs on it, like 69 Police, that song, which you just said, um, it was from Ocean's Eleven, but that's an absolutely, it's just brilliant. It manages to sound old and new. Mm. It manages to sound like something from the 60s or 70s um, and also sound like still, like really kind of new sounding, you know? Uh, and then there's Compared to What. Um, I have no idea whether that's all samples or it's live or what it is, but it's brilliant. And there's a song called Inside a Riot. And there, I think um, it opens with Compared to What and the other two are beside each other. And it's just, the kind of the album kind of drifts between really grabbing your attention and kind of just being seen music. If well, this is sense. the thing. Is it a bit too loose? Is it a bit all over the place? It is and it isn't. Um, as an, It's kind of a weird thing to say because we're talking about albums and like you know, the art of what you're making an album, but it almost seems like it's not together enough to be an album. Yeah, I think so. Oh. But like, or, or else maybe in the opposite way that you'd listen to it's like a collection. It's kind I was of like going a co- to say, is it a collection? It's a collection of songs. Is it, is it an album that he made, or is it a kind of collection yeah. of things that ended up? Being I, don't, put I don't know. It's funny, but it's still it's really good. Like you know, um, I really enjoy listening to parts of it. Other parts I didn't. Um, again, my musical barometer. I was having uh, lunch yesterday with my daughter, beans on toast, and one of the songs came on called Outrun, which is like halfway through the end. That's the one, that's the kind of that's that's the one Martina talked about. Slightly portis heady kind of, and yeah. it's got loads of discordant sounds at the start and. Maeve was not a fan and she wanted to turn it off <laughs> and put back on Peppa Pig um, whose album is actually very good but the, the truth of it is is that it is a bit all over the place and it is a bit kind of discordant and you know it's jarring at times but it kind of works at the same time so I, I'm kind of it's funny I don't know I think like I always try and listen to albums these albums a lot you know like try and don't just give them you know, cursory listens, like have them on in the background, go for walks with them, you know, have them on when I'm in the dark and stuff. Um, just have them just in my life playing in the background. And this one, it never got deep enough under my skin, sort of, that I wanted to, I always felt like I was listening to it. Whereas with the other song, other albums, all, they all kind of grew in me a little bit. Mm. And I got to, you know, I wanted to hear other songs, a flick forward to songs. Now, we did a little bit on this, but not to the same extent. It just didn't kind of get it, under my skin. That's kind of despite the fact that it's trying really hard to get you to to, mm. to be to be immersed. Isn't that like? Yeah, yeah it's and, passive and, almost. Yeah, but with, 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 with its with its samples and its kind of evocative sounds and kind of like the bits where it's like is this a track or am I listening to kind of an audio like like you said, and I feel the I feel the same way. Yeah, it's trying so hard to do that that conversely it fails sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then there's the whole thing of like, am I listening to a live recorded bass here or is this a sample? Yeah. That's not, and that shouldn't really be a problem listening to an album if you like it, right? Mm-hmm. Surely, but I'm, as a musician, I'm like, you know, that sounds like a pretty crisp, clean signal he got from that bass guitar. That can't be a sample or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. I think very much he was kind of, it's a, it's a, he's a producer, it's a produced album. He's the producer of that. I just feel like he's the, he's the uh, writer the big, and artist. Yeah, 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 see, this is the big problem I had listening to it um, or listening to other artists like this, maybe Moby or someone as well might be another example. 
is that I find myself the way I'm programmed and the way I got into music, uh, music was by like looking at sleeves and finding out who 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 played on the album and who's doing what and their contribution. I've just like listening to this has made me realize that even more. And maybe there's some sort of prejudice there or some sort of flaw in the way I kind of listen to music because you shouldn't really be obsessing on those things. But I think also as well, the kind of music it is, some music, you don't actually sit down and listen to it that way. Like like you were describing, mm. you kind of maybe even like, you know, a lot of jazz as well, John Coltrane, you don't sit down and put your headphones on and listen to John Coltrane. It's ambient. Yeah, it's ambient. You mm. let it wash over you and, yeah. you, do, and, and, and you, do other, uh, you do other things while it's playing. But... Interestingly enough, it's interesting that you said uh, it still didn't seem to, even on that level. That's just me. Yeah. But I do appreciate it, you know, if that makes sense. Like, I can appreciate it. And I go, that's a great, that sounds brilliant. Or the keys in that is brilliant. And there's Mm. a couple of times, and there's a couple of times on a lot of the albums where just little melodic bits, you know, like when you hear something, you go, that's just a new melody in the world. And that's. That, yeah. You know, that's just, just a little perfect. Where did melody. it come from? I keep asking that question. Who owns it? And I know it's the, the wrong <laughs> things probably to be asked, but I think as a, as a writer, I think my admiration is always like, that is a well-composed piece and it came from that person's being or something. Um, and But, yeah, I have a hang-up. About sampled work yeah. and, like, yeah. I need help with that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe someone could help me with that. I don't know. No, I shouldn't have a hang up with it, but I, yeah. I, I still do. Like I, I, I every, you shouldn't. You should be going every every great. year. I go back and I, I go to those YouTube videos of like uh, Daft Punk records and all, where all the samples came from, and I'm like, oh, you cheeky fuckers! <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I can't, no, yeah. no, no, I don't get high. I don't get high and mighty. I just kind of go like, oh, that's so cheeky. I can't believe they got away with it. Like, and, 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 and it was admiration. Yeah, I actually don't have like a, I don't have a. But a you're listening to it. it. Yeah, the yeah, fact yeah, that you're listening to it means true. Yeah, Robert Rock being the most oh yeah, no, shameless fucking. Egregious, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But so like, it's, it's funny because, like, and I, 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 you know, three yous are musicians. Me and Dave are not musicians. You're not musicians, sure enough. Yeah, I play drums. Will you? Okay, right. Don't worry. Well, I'm but, have uh, no. I don't have the Dave Hanratty drum collective. <laughs> <laughs> Extravagant D and the big band. But like, I he was right in. He really plays. Really. <laughs> he was right in there. Yeah, I was but, like, hang on, steady on, man. All right, yeah. okay, we're fine. Well, like, I'm, I'm the only guy in the room that is not a musician. I don't have a fucking musical bone in my body, but. I listen to a lot of music, like like everyone in the room as well. But I don't have that kind of hang up that I suppose you yeah, all have. That there you go. You're listening for oh, yeah. I want to hear this bit of music or who did this and who did that and who did the other. You just kind of experience yeah, it. Yeah, the just, analysis. Yeah, it's a problem. Exactly, it, is. Yeah. it can be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and in terms of like listening to David Holmes, the album, what kind of hit me about it was was that like I listened to it passively, and I mean that in the sense that like. I could listen to it, I could do something else, I could write up a review or I could, I don't know, clean my kitchen or something like that or I could go walk my dog or something like that mm. and it would play in the background and I could, as you were saying, like there were certain parts of it that you'd like, oh, that's a really cool bit, I love that little piano fill or I love that little, <coughs> you know, that little soundscape where there's people mm. talking in the background, that's really, really cool. And it's funny because like, it's weird, as I was listening to this, I, for for this podcast, I started listening to Vaporwave again, <laughs> which I know we're kind of laughing. You were saying that like it's such a cheeky shit, like that you're literally just like robbing something wholesale and just repackaging yeah. it. But I don't think that's the same here. I think with this, he was just taking smaller, like much much smaller samples, and like he was taking possibly like a little symphony fill yeah. from Lalo Schifrin or something like that, or from Bernard Herrmann, and then yeah. just like putting in like his own keys or his own bass line yeah. or his own drum line. And I think that is a bit more, um, you know, I, I don't think I'd call it sampling, but it's... Yeah, he's taking inspiration. He's taking inspiration. Yeah, yeah. Your, exactly. point, your point is, is why it's so beautifully elev- evident that 
his music was perfect for like stuff Films. like Ocean's Eleven, yeah. Out of mm. Sight, you know. And, yeah, and, yeah. Like it, it, it sits really well because it's not there to be. Uh, it's not like we're listening to John Williams or some um, Hans Zimmer score. We're there to be. Yeah. It's kind of in the makeup of this slick. Sleazy kind of jazz of a yeah. movie where everyone's just bantering and all that kind of. Yeah. And we don't need. And, 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 we don't and need that, it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, we don't need to kind of put it in that you know kind of pigeonhole as well. It just needs to kind of you know be what it is. And maybe that's why it's not available as an album because he's probably yeah. not obsessed about this is my work. He probably just you know I did it and here it is. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And he, and, he, and he kind of had that experience and he's kind of moved on. And I did think it was. It was really one of the things about that was most soundtracky about it. Um, I, I, if David, if you're listening, I apologise. Um, no, but just th- I know it's putting him in a box a little bit. But he was, it was, evo- it sounded like New York. You know, it's like mm. it's like he did a mind map with New York, and he said police, and he yeah. said hot dogs, and he said yeah. this and that and the other, and all of the things click into it, and it works in that the like sick city, all the stuff about the city, about New York, all that kind of stuff, yeah. and like I felt like it did, like it was effective, and I admired it, but it just didn't just didn't get me sort of yeah well okay from analytical nightmare david holmes to another record that actually uh, has some interesting words about new york uh, we'll go for a small time indie band u2 yeah. and their <laughs> underground sensation u2 and all that you can't leave behind this is beautiful day which you've heard a million times before but here it is again <laughs> to take you out of this place somewhere So, beautiful day, I'm being criticised for picking that as an obvious choice, but the reason I'm picking it is because when I went to college, on the day of my orientation, <laughs> they played playing. Beautiful Day, oh, and the guy... The tears streamed yeah, in your face as you made it. I realised I'd made my mistake, and whoever gave the speech, I think it, I don't even think it was the president, but he was like, I chose that song because it is a beautiful day. <laughs> oh, and I was like, fuck, <laughs> really? It was either that or like cause it, it, I'm nearly sure stuck it was stuck in a moment you can't get out. And I hope you guys have elevation in the course of your college. But wasn't it one of those complete like father trendy father Ted albums like that? Is in like your dad had listened to it like oh that's a great album. Oh, yeah. That's a great I was album. Fucking flabbergasted when this came out because I was like honestly stuff like Zeropa and Pop and Baby pop. and Pop and Passengers original soundtracks one were like really my introduction into what the fact that you could be in a band and make electronic music as well mm. now I always thought I always thought those two were completely dissonant I didn't understand that, they, that you could put together despite the fact that people have been doing it for <laughs> 25 years before that but I was you know I was young and I was so into like stuff like some of the stuff on Zeropa the fa- even the fact that they finished the album with a Johnny Cash song with just kind of a synth and a kind of little kind of a uh, kind of a, a drum machine and I was really really looking forward to this album so so much because I had been so into the, pre- the previous decade's output and I remember sitting in my bedroom with my then girlfriend and I think we got to uh, it might have been Walk On or <laughs> something like that and think, you think, walked think, on <laughs> <laughs> and she, she just kind of looked over me and I remember looking at I was looking at it, I was like Anton Corbin's photography is astonishing is <laughs> 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 I, 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 I was like Patricia Patricia they're in Charles de Gaulle I think it's great <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then she just looked over me and said this is, this is 
it's a bit shite. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, no. But, but then the next thing you knew, as you were saying with that, I was like, what's this? <laughs> he comes in. This is just his walk on from you too. Oh, it's cracking that. Like, you know? oh, <laughs> and that was it. Like, but that's, wow. what I knew. that's what I knew. That's what I knew. Well, yeah, All You Can't Leave Behind, an absolute monster of a record that kind of gave them, like, not that they needed a second life per se, but there was some people who were kind of, you know, like, oh, this a third best get, of. A third this, best of. Yeah, this, it's, mm. yeah, that's a good They one. actually, there was an art horrible horrible quote from Bono who said this was their no. job application <laughs> from uh, this was their bob- job application oh, to be the best band in the world yeah. again or yeah. something no 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 because this is the thing he said to be the biggest band in the world sorry again. and then those people come in and say well, why would you want to be the biggest band why would yeah. you want to be would the be best, best band yeah, yeah. Christ yeah. but the thing like you know Bono was, was we, we did a previous album on this we did Rattle and Home mm-hmm. on, on thing and yeah. it sounded like a very edge record in that he was all over loads of loads of his back and vocals and the live stuff. Mm. You know, he was on the cover. It just his guitar was so crisp and you know through everything. This feels like like I, I know they all are, but this is a very Bono record. Mm. He is just everywhere yeah. on this, and yeah. he dominates all the songs and all the you know. Is it the most front loaded record of all time? Absolutely, it's that unbelievable. The yeah. first five tracks or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's just like whoop. It's just all the singles, and I think they might have done that with um, Joshua Tree as well. Were, I was well, discussing well, it yeah, it was actually one, two, three at the start. Yeah, is crazy. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, once you get to Bullet the Blue Sky, it gets a bit. It kind of starts to, to become more about. Yeah, but the, the top, the front three, on I think that might be the most top loaded album yeah. I've ever heard. But the, but and the unfortunate thing about that is the second half of the album you just go never heard of this song never yeah. heard of this song yeah. never heard of yeah. this song no you know so. well, that's what I was going to that's what I was going to get like you know Peace on Earth is on the album it's not a great song Garrett, Suzanne Anne and Breda yeah and <laughs> New York and then reverses it by saying Breda oh, New, York is, New York is a bad song like God bless them they're not great but the thing about it is, is it's a game of two halves big time yeah. and uh, uh, there's a song like I think Suck in a Moment is just an absolutely it is a good it's just an amazing song and his and Edge's guitar is Unbelievable. And you gotta say it's just it is just that's the song you know that I'll be listening to. Well, it's the one that was about um, Michael, Hutchins. Michael Hutchinson. So yeah. so it was very evocative at the time, and I think sometimes yeah, it's, I didn't it's know it was at the time. No, yeah. no I didn't realize that until yeah. Well, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, the context in which we kind of listen to music, and I think, and the context of the time that you're in, and I remember that just feeling like I mean, well, every time I heard that song and thinking, I, I would just think about Bono's relationship with someone like that as a kind of very normal friendship and uh, and I think it comes back to what you're saying the thing about this record it's complete the thing that Bono has conviction when, or when he does have it it's very obvious mm-hmm. and he's it's just even when the lyrics are a little bit twee or a little bit he's, he's still like a thousand percent yeah he's absolutely delivering them like I, I have to agree with you with things like Elevation you know the lyrics. Yeah, like honestly, like who, uh, who could sing that with that conviction? No, who I could just, possibly? Do? And it's not great. But the, the, there's a song called uh, "In a Little While" is a lovely song, and there's a Beautiful. song called "Kite" on it. Mm. And they wrote that in the studio. Uh, they wrote that. At, at, I read online. They, they wrote it at the time. You know, they just did yeah. it and sung it. And it's there's two vocals on it. Uh, is it wild? No, in a little while, I think. And and kite, and they're they're brilliant. It's like it's. I just think. Like three or four tracks on this are among the best things that they've done. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, three or four tracks on this are just not 
just should, you know, they're just well. Even like the band had that kind of response. I mean, like the, the song "Wild Honey," which no one seems to like I apart from Bono. <laughs> yeah, could you? Uh, there was a lot of debate whether, whether it should make the record uh, because the fun and frivolity of the song was not something that they're noted for. Producer Brian Eno loved it and thought it was like a Van Morrison song. It does sound like a Van Morrison. And Bono song. wanted it on the album, saying it was playful and it broke the mood. Call it a sorbet between courses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, uh, come on now. Speaking of Brian Eno, this was kind of, this was kind of the album where I fell out of love with um, Brian Eno's production style, not as a musician, obviously, or as, even as a, as a thinker. <laughs> I kind of like, I just couldn't uh, believe the sounds he'd gotten out of, even a rhythm section like Larry Mullen and Adam Clayton back in the day, because they they'd be the first to tell you that they were not classically trained, you know? Mm-hmm. Especially Larry Mullen. He didn't, he, he, he went, they went off, uh, I think it was after Zeropa, or I think it was after Zeropa and they tried, to, they, they went like literally for drum bass lessons because they had always just played like kind of, like, he, he played the drums like he, like he could play um, bins, you know? Like in, <laughs> but in a great way, I, I, I grew up watching this guy, I grew up listening listen to his drum sound, you know what I mean? But he, they were never tra- classically trained musicians and I think when they went off and became better musicians, technically speaking, and I think they came back and the drum signatures that I loved from that rhythm set or from Larry Mullen were gone. Gone, yeah, completely gone. gone. He was like, clean. You know, he was he was clean and he was yeah. crisp and he he, he, it, he just kind of for me he became less interesting as a, a, as a drummer. I fully agree. Yeah, because like the stuff like even my friend we were watching a documentary. I think it's you know that documentary about about the Berlin time. Yeah, but, um, you too and he was saying that Larry's kind of unique thing was that he could come up with drum signatures like they were like guitar yeah. riffs they were yeah. so good and when you think mm. of which stuff, is a very difficult thing yeah, to do yeah we think of stuff like Bullet the Blue Sky yeah. mm-hmm. that's brilliant that, that is a drum beat yeah. that belongs to him forever yeah. and no yeah, one yeah. can even come and that's 16s yeah. not, not that he invented 16s and a hi-hat but the, yeah. w- the way that he just kind of dished them out was Sunday yeah. Sunday is iconic yeah, that's yeah. but all those drum yeah. signatures died and I think the inter- interesting kind of musicianship Edge certainly reverted to stock Edge sounds not saying that it's not incredibly yeah. proficient but, but it's the Edge signature sound yeah, yeah and, it, and it hasn't really changed since then I, no. I, I do rue this album as being well, the time it, where this it is the album that, to me. It's, it's, it's a turning point isn't it I mean like, it, it's where you two kind of uh, got safe I mean yeah. Yeah. it's face yeah. well that's really a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bands albums. do it a lot of bands a lot of do it you see Kings of Leon right now you know they like, get like to the point they don't care anymore yeah no they get to the point in the career where they take everything that they've learnt and then they say we need to, you know, because I think there's always that balance of, of a band of, I guess, you know, f- money success and uh, critical success or whatever, mm. you know, whatever mm. way you want to say it. And like, not that you two need more money or not, but I think they definitely wanted to, to be back in the charts again kind of thing. And they went out and they went on all the Top of the Pops and all mm-hmm. those shows that were around at the time and whatever MTV live or whatever the dish chart show they did everything yeah. around that time because as I said they wanted to just be back you know in everyone's ears again you know? it was and a loving like people really took to it I remember like the Slane gigs they had to do two Slanes because yeah. the man was that I'll never forget seeing a photograph on the front of the Sunday Times of a guy at a ticket booth banging on the window with hate on his face because he didn't get his U2 tickets <laughs> mm, yeah. it was massive yeah, they, yeah. this album was fucking huge but this, but, uh, this but album you'd was, wonder yeah. if it's the album or if it's the kind of at, like I think there's a stage in a band's career when they start becoming uh, nostalgic Mm-hmm. And it could be like, and, and, and there's probably different reasons why that happened as well. It's, it's, there's probably other bands out there that might start to sound like them, and then they realise they can actually harp back to certain sounds and certain things. And so, is it the album, or is it them just repackaging themselves and just being you too? 
is nearly does the job enough for them to kind of... Well, if they didn't have a trademark next to their name before this album, they definitely did it after it. Well, another band uh, with a number in their name that uh, didn't get to sell out stadiums. Can't wait for this. <laughs> didn't get sell oh, out yeah. stadiums, but... Uh, oh, I can't wait for Dave, for, for Dave to talk about this. Weren't really purpose-built for it either. Uh, this is October Swimmer by JJ72, a song that I fell hard for 16 years ago and still love now. That's the best song of all time there, October Swimmer. Uh, yeah, where to start? I, 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 I just, I just literally just... just so we know. Oh, no, no, I love that song. Sorry, Brian. I felt like an air go out of a room the minute you said best song of all time. I just saw all three. Yeah, yeah. You just move back from but the But see, this is the thing. <laughs> this is the thing. JJ72 is like a, is, is a contentious uh, set of numbers and letters. Uh, I put up a Twitter poll about this, and I was, it seemed to be very, very in the middle, where people stood on their self-titled debut. And I remember even back then, I remember buying this record at the age of 16 and being really excited about it and being a little bit disappointed with it overall, but I was still... Really? A little bit, yeah. But we'll, we'll get to the, the the ins and outs of it in a second. But they seem to be a band that seriously divide opinion, and I think a lot of it has to do with Mark Graney's vocals, but overall, they're kind of a band that maybe shouldn't have been as successful as they were. It almost felt like, like it was never meant to be for them, and yet yeah. it was. There was just something about them that like, they were a little bit out there but then a lot of people were like, no, no, they're just like a fucking cheap version of Radiohead or yeah. Muse or whatever. But can I, can I, yeah. yeah. It, 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 no, no, it's just like, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a really fascinating case. And, but I think it is. But some people just think, no, shit. So, it's hard to overstate just how quickly it all happened mm. and how... That's how, what I was going to say. How it's amplified so, they became so quickly and then how, fa- how quickly it went... Went away. Went away. Yeah, but yeah. the songs were good. Yeah, and they were they were every, it was everywhere. Mm. The front of the enemy. I know that doesn't seem like a huge thing now, but back then that was like that was you were kidding deal. me. They're yeah. on the front of the enemy. That's it now. That, yeah. that, that, that's I think it. was it Mark Radcliffe made them record of the week when October Swimmer got sent out, and for whatever reason, like because like a lot of people think that they are from the UK. Like I was looking up, you know, a lot of interviews they did with like Drown Sound and the Quietest and places like that, and even people commenting on them. People often lump them in. They always go, "Oh, that that UK breed of this time," yeah, yeah. and they go, well, "Obviously, you know, your your muses." Were your... they big in the UK? Did they? Were they, big? they were very big. They in were the UK. big, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they absolutely have a U. Like the album has such a UK sound. Like it has that Manics. I think they work with yeah, the Manics. And suede sound. as well. Yeah. yeah, and I think they work with, like they work with the same producers. Um, but yeah, like I I remember seeing Mark on um, yeah, Top of the Pops. Yeah, and I remember just like the first time, that, like the song started, and, and hearing his voice and uh, like his look and his gait, and I remember just thinking, "This guy's gonna piss a lot of people off." And he did, and he did, and and like and actually, what got me then was the the lyrics. I just thought, "Wow, the lyrics are really kind of clever and um, intelligent," and and actually, I want to hear them again to kind of figure out what's going on here. And uh, I thought there was, you know, I thought, that, and uh, and you know, he was a real screamer, like kind of um, Kurt Cobain. Mm-hmm. He could like not a lot of people can kind of consistently kind of sing like that, um, but it was a different sound that was coming out of his voice, and it was either gonna yeah, it was gonna split, I think, and it definitely did. But yeah. Brian, you're on board with this, yeah, definitely. Well, like I mean, Sorry. in the sense that like I remember <clears throat> when it first came out, 
um, it used to be kind of it used to do the rounds on MTV2 we were talking about that mm. before we came on it used to be on MTV2 a lot and I kind of dismissed it as oh that just sounds like Nirvana that just sounds like Nirvana or that just October Swimmer October Swimmer yeah it did like it did definitely have a kind of a buzz off that and Snow as well I thought was I thought Snow was the song I didn't I didn't I didn't know October Swimmer and um yeah, go on. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, no, yeah, but no, Snow definitely, I think, had uh, a bit of a suede, but it just it sounded derivative. Is my point is that it sounded very, very derivative. It sounded, yeah, it sounded right, like yeah. Manix or it sounded like Nirvana or it sounded like whatever. And then a couple of years went by, and then I listened. This was about like, two thousand and five, and I kind of re-listened to it. Again. Or no, no, not two thousand five. Two thousand and three, when the second record came out. When the second album, oh two, I think was the oh, yeah, I think two thousand two was the second one. But yeah, it, but as Mick said, it did all happen in a very short. Oh God, yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Jesus, yeah. I mean, it literally like they came and went like yeah. it was. Literally just and then gone, but when I listened to the album again around 2002, I was like, okay, this is actually a bit smarter than I thought. Like the lyrics were a bit more interesting than I thought, and you know, it became something more. But like again, I, that was 2002, and I don't think I listened to it again since. I think it is one of those albums that it is very, very much of its time. Very much so, yeah. Um, it has aged horribly, I think. <laughs> I, I do think that. I really do think that. It's like, it's you hear it and it's like, this sounds like it was made in 2000. I know a journalist who said that he uh, he ruined snow for her. <laughs> he, he, ruined every, he ruined the actual physical element of snow <laughs> for her. Yeah. Okay, so. well, what, what about Informer? What about... Then? <laughs> well, maybe, <laughs> what about Oxygen? How does he feel about Oxygen? <laughs> maybe she hasn't heard uh, Informer. But yeah. uh, I think it's an amazing uh, opening three-track run. I think it's pretty heavy-hitting. It's October yeah. Swimmer, Undercover Angel, Oxygen. Uh, I think Long Way South is an excellent song as well and Algeria best track in the album do you think so wow I mean like, it's a bit of a slog to get there but I mean uh, that one I, Oxygen actually uh, marketed an interview before and he said that uh, if he had to fill his second album with Oxygen uh, songs like that he'd be playing the arenas that Muse later ah, claimed which is quite that, yeah. the claim uh, he was also interviewed um, there was a catch up interview with him in The Quietest in 2005 and he, t- he's very, he seemed very quite philosophical about it because like at one point in the interview they note that you know someone had dealt with them before and was like oh yeah the drummer's lovely the bass is really nice the singer is a dickhead he's really up himself and he seems a lot more grounded now or at least then that was 10 years ago and he was kind of saying that like you know you get into a taxi in Dublin and you know you got a guitar case with you or whatever so the taxi man strikes up a conversation and he's like what do you do and he goes oh I'm a musician and he goes well, what, would I, well, what would I know you from and he's like he mentions the name of the band and the guy's like never heard of you and he's like, do you ever, you know, do you, do you know Bono? Like, you know, the, your classic yeah. cab yeah. driver question. <laughs> and Mark was like, he's like, he goes, I hate this question because I always go, yeah, we actually supported you two. And he said that like at least one, if not more taxi drivers have given him dogs abuse and been like, no, you fucking didn't. You know, like, like there's just, I don't know whether it, like, it carries over to him as a, in general, but there just seem to be a bit of a weird, you know, like here's a buzz band. Yeah, now they're gone and fuck off. There was just a strange, you know, it happened so fast. I don't think. I don't. I think, think it was that. too much too soon. I don't know if it was. I don't know if that was intentional in the sense that, like, I think they did write it. That was far. No, was there a second album? Sorry, there was. was yeah. yeah, it's called Out to Sky. I've never heard a second oh, yes, album. Of course, but there's sorry. a third. There was a third album, which the record label. But he, they sent it out, didn't they? Um, I think it was because there's versions it, online. It, it, it was made. Yeah, it's made. It's yeah. been. It was made, mixed and mastered, and everything. But then a record label dispute with uh, the. Lakota Records who I think was a Sony yes. subdivision mm. uh, he claims that you know that put paid to everything and he says his biggest regret with the band is not taking uh, six months you know or six six weeks to, uh, two, uh, to two months off and just pausing things that the band needed a break and never took but one this is, this is what happens like it's like you know it's like people's lives you know you can't you can go on about you know if I'd done things differently but the person that you are and the band that you are and whatever you always make the decisions you always would have made the decisions you made you know like you know there was definitely a, 
like you can tell he's a smart guy you know and it, I do think it's a one headband I think it's a lot of him tell he's a smart guy he said he wanted to say stuff but it does as a debut album it feels like the the first step of something that that was going to go somewhere yeah. mm. and it just it just sort of didn't and you know you can go into a million reasons why that didn't happen but I mean, it's on this list because you know it was one of the strongest albums that we thought. So I think, yeah, yeah. I, think I mean, it, deser- I think d- it deserves. Despite my reservations, I'm I am a fan of this record, I, and I found yeah. it kind of going back to it. I found it quite tough initially, but it definitely settled on me, and I do think that overall it's a little bit long. I mean, I, I'd lose a couple of songs, but overall, <laughs> I think that, I, I think there's an awful lot. And for your first album as well, it is disappointing that it just kind of had a full stop not long after because you're kind of like this could have been great. To to a different kind of poet to wrap up this, these five, uh, we'll go with a local legend, Damien Dempsey. And they don't teach this shit in school, which sounds like this. And when the baby cries, yeah, she has been criticized, yeah, been put down, if passed down. For a That's it's all good by Damien Dempsey. Cullum, talk to us. Um, yeah, this is a fantastic album, really. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it, it was it was it's a debut album, um, and I think Damien has spent. I think he's probably had an EP out before this, and he had Dublin Town, and I think he was afraid of uh, that. It was a bit of a kind of had a sound of a bit of a parody or something of this kind of reggae Dublin thing going on, but. Um, yeah, it's a debut album, and and it's it, it it's actually just loaded with really really strong songs, and I think one of the most and and he's basically introducing himself to, uh, to the world, but let's say you know to Ireland, and um, the interesting thing is that I I actually thought because I I I'm from Kilbarrick, you know, actually live in Donegal now, and Damien's from Donegal, so I knew him, you know, a good ten years before maybe this album was released, or maybe eight years. Um, so and I'd seen him play and I'd seen him live. So I thought that what he was doing was quite niche, and I ab- absolutely loved the stuff. And and I would have been fearful for him that the stuff wouldn't um, translate, possibly. You know, do you so say he, do you say niche? Do you mean that in the sense of like niche to Donamid, like to the yeah, north side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Donamid as well. I, yeah. Felt, yeah. I felt the same thing. Did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and and it was this kind of nervousness. We're all Donamid. <laughs> <Right. laughs> do, do we have a college in Donamid? Well, no. I went mean, to yeah. Donis. Yeah, yeah, I think to Donis. Well, that's you don't get more hardcore than that. <laughs> but um, that's right. So yeah, like he was. So so I was nervous for him. But the thing about the the the, 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 the kind of ironic thing there is that the album is about being standing up and being strong and expressing yourself and incredibly brave um and and basically he reveals you know his things like you know there's a track called jealousy all about you know kind of being with a girl and being jealous and not not knowing what he'll do if you know if he sees her with another guy incredibly honest another thing is his kind of republicanism yeah which is so very very on the nose with it yeah. yeah and he just he just puts it out there and and it's 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 the, like the, like the way he puts these ideas and concepts across again is 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 like with complete conviction, and um, and I think he just kind of watching him then go on tour and play. Um, actually, that tour, to be honest with you, um, he was still pretty kind of low key. 
because it was it was it was like they don't teach this shit in schools like so it's his, it's 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 his first album, but actually I think maybe a couple of albums after that he's kind of still still cherry because we're talking about legacy as well he's kind of cherry picking a song here and there off that album, so he's kind of just kind of getting himself out there, but uh, but I I have to say retrospectively like part of this legacy thing when I did see him performing these same same songs later you know as part of tours and part of albums that they subsequently were on I couldn't believe the that everybody with kind of open arms was going this is you know fucking absolutely mm. amazing and like actually not being at the gigs but more just like earwigging around or say being in Wheelands or, or, or hearing people you know have you seen Damien Dempsey and like for them it was like the first like, oh, you know unbelievable and and the way he'd written the songs, uh, the songs are really folk songs. Ultimately, they're they're folk songs. They're yeah. like they're like Bob Dylan songs, like 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 in that or, or Hank Williams songs. In that they so have there's also a lot of reggae in there. You, does it, mu- which is mu- what I think musically it really, shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. And 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 it didn't work on that other song he had, uh, Dublin Town. He was very kind of embarrassed about that. But it's very subtle on this record. And this, it's yeah, actually, it's, it's more subtle. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah, that was the thing. Like I went back to this record because I never listened to it. So I'm going back after knowing Damien, like. We, you know, when we started out, we played a lot of gigs in London, and Damien used to come to the gigs. You know, yeah, like this was like ten years ago, but he used to yeah. come to the gigs, and he'd be standing at the back of the crowd, and I'd be like, "That's Damien Dempsey," you know, like yeah, it's yeah. mad, you know, like yeah. he was really into Irish bands, and you know, he'd be we subsequently played a lot of gigs with him, and he's he's like a big, scary, gentle bear, like he's a yeah. big presence in a room, you know, yeah, um, and we played in New York, and he played, you know, the Irish kind of songs, and they went mental. My wife sang with them on a song called "It's Bad Time Garda," which is on this album yeah. in the Academy, and like the noise of the crowd singing back was nearly as loud as her singing yeah. into a microphone. You know, yeah, like yeah. it's 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 mad. But the, the mix, like as you say, like it is. I think it is kind of niche. There's a bit of rap. Isn't in there. it kind of? Isn't isn't it kind of like Blue Eyed Soul? Blue Eyed Soul, though. I always kind of equate him to kind of like Blue Eyed Soul in the sense that like. You know, like you look at Blue Eyed Soul, like average white band from the seventies, and they were all Northern England, like you know right. that kind of way. Yeah, and they yeah. took on soul as like their music, and for North Dublin, I think it might have been a bit of reggae and possibly a bit of R and B as well, which I yeah. think there's tinges of that in this as well. Yeah, well, I like I think like like I've I've I'm, I'm always kind of deconstructing songs, but um, the, the, like for for me that would be the kind of musical side of it, and and for some reason with Damien, it's kind of it's it's for me it's less important. Like when I'm listening to it. It's the kind of epicness of the the lyrics and the context. You know, he takes like like the song "Colony." It's a big epic piece where you know he wants to write his. It's nearly like I don't know Moby Dick or something. Like it's like I'm going to write about the Irish situation. I'm going to pour it all into the song, and it's absolutely going to be you know huge. So each title is like there's so much packed into each title uh, t- title of the song, and again, it is this kind of folk thing. I think it's this folk thing. I think though, I mean, if you're going to talk about Damien Dempsey, you have to, like, sometimes, I think, and love the man, love the man. Here's head is in his hands. <laughs> no, I just sometimes the lyrics would drive you mad, you know. Yeah. Like I think two on the nose. No, I mean just you see, I don't think I don't think I think he writes completely from his heart, and I think. Mm. Like for example, um, I was in college, or I was in, in St. Donna's. I keep saying college, it's in St. Donna's, and they, they, he's got a song called "Factories," mm. and I didn't have any. But that song is one of the most beautiful. Like it is literally, I think, one of my favorite songs. And I would walk up from you know the train and Ho walk Junction. up Ho Junction, walk up there, and 
you know, see the sunset over St. Donna's. And it is goosebumps. The, yeah. the lyrics in that are incredible. Because he's juxtaposing something so poetic with... Not so only suburban. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a drab... And it's kind of drab suburban. It's well, not I've, like I've nice. stood on, on that... On, I know, Junction, like, and yeah. looked out over and seen, like, the church, the, the, the kind of pyramid church we have there. In yeah, yeah, the beautiful pyramid church. And that's uh, not supposed to be romantic. It's not. No, no, yeah. but, like, it, there is... He, he's, he's dead right. Like, uh, uh, however he might express it, there, when, when you like, if I when I, when I, go home, I go home once a week and I go up to, and I stand on top of that bridge and even if it's the grimmest day, I look out there and it, it, there is something strikingly, <laughs> yeah. grimly beautiful about it. Even yeah. but then if you find it on a summer's evening, it's actually genuinely beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so he just saw that and was way more poetic and yeah. expressive than I could it's ever like, be. It's like he was telling us that we all haven't grown up in idyllic countryside um, or like in social positions, but there's there probably is a moment well this is what it meant to me there is a, probably a moment that you can hark back to in your own childhood when you were looking out over some sort of housing estate and it was probably a very beautiful moment with, yeah. with, with the sunset and mm. I went absolutely nailed it I remember when I heard the song I says that is a very real no moment, I think so. I think yeah. that he, think he has an ability to connect with melodies that I think is just, yeah. I, I actually think it's it's uh, there's there's very few in Ireland that that, that do that. You used the word earlier on about Bono and like you know when he has this thing and the word is conviction and I think that like the first time I ever heard Damon Dempsey was I heard Seize the Day mm. and my first reaction to it was what the fuck is this like you know I I'd, I'd never heard anything like that before and once I kind of got over the shock of that the shock of the new it was like he's actually great he's actually really good and like it's uh, but also I should hate this and you know I I think he can be a representative for his community or wherever he's come from and the things that he's seen but uh, yeah as you say like you know Colum, it translated and it's strange that it translated but it has and he's pretty much like a like, on the whole a beloved national figure who kind of has this certain level and mm. uh you know he mixes it up every now and then not always to the greatest of success but uh people fucking love this guy i've seen a, i've seen people crying at his, at his yeah, shows yeah. i actually yeah. have to help and, 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 and no irony whatsoever mm. and it's. I think that's incredible. But like yeah. the thing about me is, I always think that I get really disconnected then by sometimes by the lyrics. I just think I just sometimes I just I just yeah. can't. I in what know, sense? It's just sometimes they can sound so forced, rhymy, rhymy yeah. and basic, you know. Right. And uh, they just drive me mad. And this happens on this album a lot. And I, I think that Dame Dempsey has written some absolutely incredible songs. And uh, as albums went on, I think he's 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 written better albums than this, um, and he's kind of ironed out that a little bit. I think this is him at his most, um, yeah. where the Basic lyrics almost. new, but but on, starting out on this yeah, you know, like on this on this. See, see, I I'll agree with you, but on this he has like lines like, um, "Greed is the knife and the scars run deep." Now that's epic. Oh no, I, right. I think it's and, and from song to song yeah. you can have an incredible. No, yeah. no, 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 but even but I agree with you because then the next line may be something where you go, oh my god, that's so rhymy, mm. and he just throws it all in together. But I think what you get in the bigger context is absolute honesty, and he's going, look, you're going to get some absolute killer lines, poetic lines that you've, you know, that, that, and, and then you're going to get some. But really, what I'm talking about the Nelson about Mandela is, line is the big on this, stuff. for example, like you know. You know the Nelson Mandela line? What's that one? It's a Nelson Mandela. What, I think it's what, what a lovely fella. <laughs> 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 okay. no, to, like, totally yeah. serious, you know, yeah. and there's no yeah. messing. And like yeah. the thing about it, like I, I know I'm conviction, Dave. But yeah, all true, all yeah, true. Yeah, like yeah, these, yeah. these five albums, yeah. like you know, we, we've been talking about. There are moments 
like for example one of the best set of lyrics is, is you know on the U2 album Kite I think is incredible and it, it just it makes the hair stand up and then there's other lyrics on that that I think are terrible just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah and it's the same with this album there yeah. are lyrics and it's, it's sometimes as I said even in the same song that are strikingly connective and they make you just pay attention what does he mean or whatever yeah. and then and then the, the next line is uh, you know I vented on the bag and not the skag and like yeah. like that rhymes but there's there's a, it doesn't have you know that thing if you don't have to rhyme everything just to make it work sometimes yeah. it's, it's too easy to rhyme It'd sometimes be I want yeah it's, I, I, like, I don't even know if he's being lazy I think he just maybe wants to get it very directly out there I remember thinking at one time is, is he just being lazy and just and I think no maybe he just sometimes wants it to be very clear but I have to tell you one story I did play with Damien Dempsey once and it was quite interesting um, I don't know if I should say this but I'll say it anyway he punched the lampposts when he was in London probably when he was hanging out with you guys oh. <laughs> uh, probably just at the coming out of your gig our, te- our tech is called <laughs> yeah. the lampposts but he punched the lamppost and he couldn't play the guitar so he um, contacted me and asked me would I be his guitarist so like he was playing with the full pan but the amazing thing was that I was going to be like Damo's kind of limb you know what I mean? Like mm. that extra limb. So he was he was standing there in his um cast. In, in his cast and his arm was all wrapped up. And I'm kind of standing underneath him, like kinda of like Oh, he was holding the guitar. No, 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 he wasn't. But I actually I'm probably painting this too uh, too romantically. <laughs> but I actually felt like I was just there, you know, you know, part of him, like an extra limb. So I was kind of and he was telling it was wonderful. He was like telling me what to do, you know. Give it a bit of fucking gusto there. When you uh-huh. folks, you know, get into it there, you know. And so I was like playing, and his guitar just felt like it was huge on me. But um, but one of the most amazing things was, and he and he actually gave me a picture of this afterwards. And we were playing in the Donnemead Inn, and it was the first time he played the Donnemead Inn, and all after he after his success, like after like it was about six six years ago. Oh, yeah, back. yeah. So I think we'd done like three nights Great there or, the or, or two nights and all we were thinking about I think everybody was thinking about him singing that line. <laughs> so we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and try and pick a winner out of all these incredible records. <laughs> incredible for different reasons. Okay, so uh, in our attempt to find the gold standard which could be more than one we'll uh, start with Brian Lloyd. Brian, what's your shout? I would go... Ooh... I suppose I, I, I would definitely go Damien Dempsey. I mean, after a little chat there, I kind of reevaluated it a bit, and yeah, Damien Dempsey and David Holmes as well. But that's probably just because like I'm a, I'm a film critic, so like I respond more to film music, maybe. But yeah, no, da- Damien Dempsey definitely. Damien's your one. Damien's my man. Yeah, Michael Pope. Um, I'll. Uh, I just get one, do I? No, you can pick. In, if yeah, you two, well, three, I, as, as a as someone who you know. You know, has been lived in Donegal since he was like, since nineteen seventy seven, and lives on the train tracks, and you know, not li- literally, but like on a house beside, and, and not, li- not and literally knows, knows on the train tracks. He knows Damon yeah, by reputation, and also by the fact that he, like, in, in terms of what we're saying, that JJ seventy two didn't have, which is what Damon definitely has as a legacy. Yeah. Mm. Um, I will, I will, if if I can go for Damo and Kits are two dubs who really have a different ways of expressing themselves, but also, kind of, um, they both are still with us. Play, musically and creatively and we're all the better for it alright good uh, Dave who's me? on your hoodie well uh, it's a tough one I I, I agree with uh, what Brian said there and what Mick said and what everyone has said about the Damien Dempsey record in terms of even kind of reevaluating it from that point and I would I think that has to be up there I mean my own personal shout is JJ72 for all of its flaws and reasons and kind of weirdness and my own personal connection to it 
but I think Damien Dempsey probably deserves to be recognised as. So you're going for two? I'm going for two. I'm going for Damo and I'm going for JJ72. Okay. I can see how this is going now already. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Political um, voting. Yeah. I am. Uh, this is Kieran, because Dave didn't introduce me. Can we just say Dave that bastard? You you don't need an introduction, man. Kieran Del Rentos, everyone. (laughs) Famous Kieran. Um, I think that uh, while the Damien Dempsey album is really good, I don't think it's the best out of this group, and not because it's not good, in my opinion. I think it's really good, but I think it's just. I think it's a really good. It's a good. I can't. I don't, I don't know how to put that any better than I just did. So uh, <laughs> I think David Kidd for me is, is the album I'm gonna go for. Mm. Oof. Mm. Colin. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm gonna go for Damien Dempsey, and I'm gonna go for David Kidd. And um, it seems to me to be the year of the. Um, the David. Of 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 the yeah. The, oh no, she's one of us saying yeah. Damien and David. Of the Sorry, D's. The yeah. Two way tie for first. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like the um, the era, the beginnings of the indie like album. You know, do it yourself, make you know, and and, and also get out there and tour. <coughs> and I like what you were just saying there, but it's it's kind of it's interesting. It's a nice representation of the creativity coming from the north side and the south side, mm. and the, you know, two two uh, great albums. But I think I'd have to give it to Damien <coughs> because. Legacy wise, he actually went back to this album a couple of times and took albums or took songs like he done. It's all good with uh, Sinead O'Connor mm. for Seize the Day. He also done Colony again on Shots. So it's a very very rich album. He'd actually been working on it probably for maybe twelve or thirteen years. There's probably twenty songs or thirty songs that didn't get onto this album. We know debut albums can be very uh, power- yeah. So yeah, there's yeah, three debut budget. albums on this, which is kind of interesting. Like like that year. Yeah. The people weren't didn't go for the ones that you know. There was lots of other albums on the list that were fifth, sixth album, seventh albums for some people, and yeah. it was a, a load of the debuts actually were the ones that stu- that's kind of came through for us. Like. Yeah, well, it's just like yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah there's a certain honesty from it, and a certain this is this is this is everything I've got right now. This is everything I, I I'm laying it all down. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's like if you're if you're a screenwriter, your first script has every idea yeah, you've yeah. ever yeah. had. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, that's why a lot of bands and. But by that, by extension, artists can fall down on their sophomore efforts. You know, they can be like, you know, well, I kind of gave you everything on the first <laughs> first yeah. time around. You know, yeah, give me another three or four story years. of my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind of gave you everything on the first time, love. The <laughs> elephant in the room, though, no one, no one going to shout there for you too. No, you're on your own, man. You've been <laughs> fucking, not, no, you've been pushing this agenda since we got in here. You've been pushing you too since not. we got in uh, here. I, 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 I think that's a solid bronze medal, to be honest with you. So no, yeah. I wouldn't. Uh, but no, I, I think that's a fair result. I think it's very fair, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's. It, it, are we talking like it's demo by very, very, very by? No, I think I think it's finish. Tie? I think it's photo finish here. Really? Yeah, but well, I didn't split my vote, so he got a hundred percent of my vote. Oh, okay, okay. Kitzer did. Okay, and then I got, I, I, I went for two. Okay, yeah. so I think uh, that's fair. And I had fifty percent for demo. It does yeah. yeah, seem. Yeah, it seems like I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. That's fair. Yeah, we've had ties, and uh, they can happen. So uh, congratulations, to Damien Dempsey and up David the Kit. Yeah, up the dubs. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll figure out some kind of prize that they can both share. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, well, guys, uh, th- uh, I shall wrap it up now. Thank you so much all for all coming in and for shouting and you know being very pleasant and gentlemanly. That one, that was good. So you know, give yourselves a round of applause. <laughs> nice job. We'll be back with more revisit and another year at some point. Hello, this is Alan, the producer. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, it's just that Kieran got David Kidd on the phone, so we'll go to an interview with David Kidd first, and then we'll play him out, play out the episode with a song by David Kidd. 
Hi, David. Uh, this is Kieran at uh, No Encore. How's it going? How you doing? Good things. Um, we're just doing our podcast uh, on head stuff about um, uh, the albums to revisit from the year two thousand and uh, small moments was uh, one of our albums that we really want uh, people to listen to. We think people should go back and listen to because it's a great album. So I wanted to have a little yeah. chat with you about that. So um, I guess uh, the year 2000, it was your debut. How did you get it? How did you, uh, you kind of get into the recording of the album? Was it a long kind of three or four years writing it or was it, did it happen very quickly or how did it, how did it happen? No, it was, it was kind of just an evolution of stuff I started doing really, you know, kind of, when I was 15, 16, with my first four track, um, and very much just kind of, you know, layering up sounds, trying to write songs so you could kind of have something to, um, to kind of just overdub onto, or and a lot of the stuff then maybe started as beats or programming something really simple, um, and you know, it it kind of went from a four track. To, I got a bank loan when I was in, I think second year in college. I got a got or third year. I got a bank loan, bought a digital eight track, uh, and then in my final year in college, I was mo- kind of recording most of of small moments uh, at home, and it was still at a stage where I was a little bit shy, maybe about showing it to people, but friends were just like. Uh, just going to see you've got to you know you've got to try and put some of this stuff out or try and give it to a label or something like that and then around the same time I was doing a few more gigs of you know kind of doing the kind of stuff that we ended up on small moments with a, a mini disc player uh, with the with the beats and then kind of playing guitar along to it um, and that started there was just a little bit of a buzz and, and I started doing some kind of bigger supports around Dublin and there was a lot of interest then from kind of managers and all the all the kind of industry people started circling all the kind of the wolves, the wolves circling. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I ended up going to um, South by Southwest in te- Austin, Texas, in the year two thousand, I think it was, or nineteen ninety nine. Um, and I had small moments like the seven tracks of small moments compiled onto a CD to give to, you know, labels or whoever might be there. And I met, uh, the only person I actually gave it to was Jeff Travis from Rough Trade. Rough Trade. Uh, and he got back to his hotel that night and listened to it straight through and said, listen, this is your, this is your first album. Don't change the note, you know. Uh, so that vote of confidence was, I suppose, a big thing. That was kind of how I felt myself. Um, and there were a couple of people in Ireland who were up for helping out as well, like Zeke and Dave O'Grady. And, um, and I, I kind of thought that if some something didn't happen, you know, if the Jeff Travis thing hadn't happened, I, I probably would have gone with, with them. Um, hmm. But it was, I suppose it was just like for me, knowing the history of rough trade and, you know, even over the years, fully knowing the history of rough trade and some of my, you know, even just like, Arthur Russell and Carl Craig and everything releasing records with with Jeff Travis as well. You know, just so many great acts being on the label. Um, it was yeah, it was a, it, it like that was that was music to my ears and and that was pretty much how it ended up coming up coming out completely unchanged. So it was very much like a snapshot of me before like you know before you had any notion of really. Uh, 
of a record coming out, you know, like that it would actually end up on a on a really big label and yeah. you know get pressed on vinyl and all that stuff. Um, so, it's a, it's, so yeah, it's a, the the feel of it comes through, you know. There 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 is a kind of a bedroom. There is a late night kind of feel off it. It's also there's yeah. a kind of a lonely feeling at times. You know, maybe not a yeah. negative lonely, just that kind of in your own head kind of feel. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess that's just you know. I mean, so many people at that age go through go through a lot of those, maybe a lot of those feelings. Um, while it can be quite a social time, and you know, like I think in a way for me, college I thought was going to be this massive coming of age. Uh, you know that it was all just going to happen. You, you literally walk through the gates, and and, uh, and the kind of coming of age just kind of like happened naturally. And then you kind of start to realize, oh, well, it's just kind of like you're still dealing with some of the issues of maybe not quite fitting in the way you you you, you would like to, or whatever it is. Uh, but you know, it did happen actually as, as things went on in college. I kind of found my crew. And, and there's, you know, I think there's a bit of a sense of that on the record too. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's definitely a kind of a um, there's definitely a melancholy at, uh, at work in a lot of the songs. Yeah. yeah, but it really works. One of the tracks that we were talking about, um, "Sound Fades with Distance." You know, there's yeah. there's, there's just a, a beautiful feel of that. You know, and it's it's kind of it lets itself kind of the song kind of happens like a lot of the songs on the album you know you know it's over five minutes long it kind of happens kind of slowly it kind of lets the kind of groove happen did you remember anything about the writing of that song yeah i a lot of the time it was like i would write the beats because i had i had this really old mac macintosh computer that i got like from a friend at a family or whatever and it was like it was i didn't use it use it for anything other than uh rebirth which was a uh, propeller head software which had a 909 and 808 and two 303s you know mm. uh, and I was coming out the headphone jack of the old Mac into my digital 8 track so you had to kind of make a beat that was kind of like an arrangement and doing all the mutes on the actual Mac so with that one it was very much like I had a song loosely in my head but I think what makes a lot of the beats on that record like that one and, and there are words be the same kind of way they both happen in the same way whereas like stuff was shifting off of one and you had all these amazing happy accidents and then I had to play it to kind of meet those accidents you know um, and I think there were like I was listening to a lot of Brian Eno stuff at the time and really into a lot of ambient music like a lot of uh, like Apex Twin stuff like that um, and uh, like a lot of the background stuff in it is there's, there's a lot of detail in that tune there's a lot of bouncing and, and mm. kind of just little bits of vocal and kind of stuff like real headphone stuff um, and then the song itself I guess yeah like I mean I guess it was a um, I think it was early stages of a, of a, of a big relationship for me and it's kind of like a uh, yeah maybe um, some kind of there was a euphoria that was like uh, maybe of like early love combined with a uh, like more <laughs> like a legacy of a of a kind of a very typical late teens early twenties kind of melancholy, mm. melancholy or something and uh, and it's uh, it's still a really special song for me to be honest I, I still play it live and, and uh, 
Yeah. There's some lovely little turns in it that kind of wouldn't have happened if the beat hadn't been so weird in the first place, you know. And yeah, it's just I guess when you have to work that way and print things, um, you you really have to kind of map things out in a very different way. And, and the, it's a and, different uh, way of writing songs to like stick. Yeah, stuff it really is compared yeah. to like modern Pro Tools or Ableton or whatever, you know. Um, but. We were talking to another guy um, who, whose album was recorded. He only had a four track, so he had to record the bass and the drums at the same time with the bass on his lap while he was playing the drums. And um, wow, cool. so it really yeah. <laughs> completely enforced the sound of the album, you know? And it's a, a yeah, yeah. similar kind of buzz. Yeah, it's kind of different nowadays, I suppose. It sure is, yeah. Well, you have to try. I think because I come from that world, I definitely carry that. I think I've got, I've ended up like in the last, like I went to the, the full on maximal 60 tracks on a session and now I'm actually I've gone full circle to back to kind of eight nine tracks now I really don't allow myself to have any more you know and uh, it's, it, I think a lot of it does come from that early like phase of recording you know it just makes a lot of sense to me well cool I mean you, you've gone on to be you know super prolific I think there was seven albums or um seven or at least uh, five kind of um, original music albums and maybe uh, seven full albums that you released in, you know, the 2000s or the noughties or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But, um, so what, what are you up to now? I am, uh, well, I've got about, I've got about six or seven releases coming out this year. So it's actually, I've been working like harder than I've ever worked, to be honest, on music and kind of balancing working for other people, you know, and doing as many gigs as possible. Um, with just uh, trying to, you know, find as much time to record uh, as possible. But I've been, I've been, uh, yeah, last year was a lot of recording and a lot of it's coming out now this year. So uh, there's a new David K record, there's a new Jackson record, there's about three kind of new Jackson EPs um, and a couple of other David K releases. Wow. So there'll be about four or five hours of music coming out this year, which is amazing. So it's, um, it's, it's probably at its most prolific at the moment, to be honest. Um, and it's like, I think in terms of the actual recording end of it, it's about as healthy as it's ever been. You know? So, yeah, it's good. It doesn't always, it's not always like this. So I really appreciate when it's uh, quite, when it's a bit more straightforward, you know. Life doesn't get in the way and you kind of have a little bit of freedom to do do some of this stuff. It's When you, when you get the time, it's really, uh, you feel lucky to have it, you know. Well, listen, thanks very much for talking to us, David, and congratulations on a great album. Bobby, thanks, man. Cheers, All right, man. much for talking to you again. Take care. Thanks. Nice one, dude. Come along in secrecy You said I could but I won't Filling up With promises Our bodies lie But we're immune And the thought of the summer Clears my head Summer clears my head. 
HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Nice. That'll make the outtakes. Uh, <laughs> Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot, Neil. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.